there. I think it's interesting that uh, that song, of all songs, would come up. I was talking to Sister Janice last night, and uh, I said, when I was uh, the pastor out in California, we decided that we wanted to do a, a, a song together in the choir we had. And being the choir director, I could get away with about anything. But we decided to do Holy, 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 but if you notice, there's four stanzas, and what we started off with was the tenors. And if you notice, the tenor line goes, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And if you think I'm going to go any further than that, you're wrong. Anyway, uh, so we did the tenor line first, followed by the alto line, and followed by the bass line, and at the very end we did the soprano line. By the time we hit the soprano line, nobody ever thought they had ever heard that song before. And it's amazing how often that occurs when people don't really know the songs the way that they should. And, uh, you know, it's a great way for us to start. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Last week, uh, we wanted to get into the uh, distinctives, Baptist distinctives, and we started off with the uh, Lord's Supper, or excuse me, started with baptism. And uh, even though we'll continue on a little bit with that today, I want us to look at the basis for why we hold to the Lord's Supper. So in Exodus chapter 12, we're going to go to verse 1, and I want us to look at some things that uh, we are going to be looking at as well together today. Beginning verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for that lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of souls, every man according to his eating, shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and upon the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat eat it. And they shall and they shall eat the flesh that night in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, with the bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head and his legs, with the Puritan thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it shall the morning be uh, burned with fire. And thus shall you eat it uh, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now it's important that we understand Baptist distinctives. Now the reason that a lot of times people might turn around and they say, well, why do we call them Baptist distinctives is because this separates us from the rest of the world. Now understand this. 
Uh, I have a book that's upstairs, and in fact, it's titled Baptist Distinctives. But after reading it, it makes sense. It, it's one of those things to where we know these things are supposed to be in place. We know these things are true. But too often, we allow things to creep in that shouldn't be there. Now, I made a little bit of a, a comment last week about this, the uh, cedar mill, or the cedar mill is a lot of times talk about it. And too many churches are trying to make that as important as the Lord's Supper is, for whatever reason. In, in other words, the reality is is that we know where the, uh, the, the purpose of it, the bitter herbs, the lamb, as well as the, that was roasted with fire, as well as the unleavened bread. But everything else seems to be added on as a, as a reminder of the fleshly existence we have. May I put this out to you? All we need to follow, and if we can get it right, is the Lord's Supper. It is so important for us to get that part right, but so many times it seems like we are a minority or a great minority against so many people that said, you will not accept what we want to offer. Many years ago, I remember that there was a, a radio preacher, and uh, it caused a huge uproar all through this valley and everywhere else. And, and his statement was, it doesn't matter what you have uh, for the Lord's Supper. He said, if you're in a party or whatever, and you have Kool-Aid and, and rich crackers or graham crackers or, or soda crackers, he goes, that's plenty. That's all you need to be able to enjoy the Lord's Supper with. He made all the mistakes that most people make in regards to the Lord's Supper. Because the, the fact of the matter is, the Lord's Supper is not a party situation. It is a somber situation. It's an examination that needs to occur. Now, I can eat it with joy. I can. I, I can be very thankful that my Lord gave himself for me. But to understand the Lord's Supper and everything that goes with it, we should actually understand all the things that were there. Now, understand this. The Old Testament's primary purpose was to point out that the Lord was coming. So the 4,000 years that we read in the scripture is always a reference to the Lord's return, the Lord's coming, the Lord's moving in at that particular time. I see that. But afterwards, as we get closer to the, the book of Malachi, especially with the book of Daniel, uh, and we can actually see some of the other minor prophets that are there, there was a, a, a foretelling of what was going to occur when Messiah would come. And literally, it was not allowed for even Daniel to write some of the things that he saw. And the reason that he was not even allowed to write it, it would give too much information too quickly. So understand this. Even though the Old Testament speaks primarily of Jesus Christ and of his coming, and we also see all the things that happened in his life from his birth to his death to his resurrection and everything that goes in with it. We need to understand that the premonition or everything that was given here in Exodus chapter 12 was directed by God to say tonight Passover begins. So as we go into our study today, I want us to make sure that we have a clear understanding of why we observe the Lord's Supper the way we do. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for your blessings, and we want to thank you again for the goodness that you allow us to see. 
Lord, you know that I really want to teach on these things, and I know even in myself that while I understand, as I told Brother Randy earlier today, having the clarity and having the wherewithal to be able to express these things clearly is, is really a challenge. Because, Father, there are so many things that you have put in my heart, there are so many things you have put in my mind, that I might be able to teach it and use it in the right way. But, Lord, without your teaching, without your direction, without the Holy Spirit taking the full control of everything that we have, it, everything I say today will be useless. We have many that are here, some that are lost, some that are saved. But, Lord, we know that everyone that is here is for a purpose. Let them see Christ in, the, in his resurrection through the example that we are going to look at today in the Passover as well as in the Lord's Supper. And Lord, help us to grab these things so that we might be able to do those areas correctly in our lives. So guide us and bless, we pray thee, and help us in all things to follow in the way that you would have us, for it's in Christ we pray, amen. I have it here that we're going to start with the elements. And so even though I have started with the elements as the overall tenure, I want us to understand the importance of what happened. And I want us to take our Bibles, and we can hold our place here if you have a, a little uh, stem like what I have with my Bible, that's great. But we're going to go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Now the reason that I'm going to be using Matthew chapter 26, this is the area I like to normally rest upon when I am presenting the Lord's Supper. The reason is it seems to be very thorough. The other place that's probably even a bit more thorough is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which again was given down to Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to consider just for a moment the things that happen with the, the Lord's Passover. Now, go down to verse 20. And when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. All right? And so, once again, there's something that's important about why only the twelve would be included in this, in this observance. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and he said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It hath been good for that man had he not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Now we're going to stop there for a moment. Now, one of the things that I pointed out last week was the importance of the Twelve and also the importance that this church has in the observance of the Lord's Supper. I also pointed out in using John chapter 13 as my example that I believe that Judas went out immediately upon being recognized as the evildoer that was going to commit it. I don't think he took part of the Lord's Supper. He started out with the Twelve but it ended up with the 11. Everybody with me? I, it started out with the 12, but it ended up with the 11. So Judas is a representation of everything that was in the Old Testament. 
He was the observer of the meal. He ate of the meal. He ate of every, every sacrifice that was there. He understood the importance of that, that last meal that he would have. But then we go from that last supper to the Lord's Supper. And in between the time, we find that the Lord exposes him and lets him, lets him leave. There are two reasons that I believe that. Number one, I believe the twelve are the first church. I have many reasons to believe that. And one of the reasons, and I want you to see this, is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go over there for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if we go down to verse 28, and it says, And God has set some in the church, comma, first apostles. Now, I'm going to stop right there without trying to make, make everybody else uh, argue with me or whatever. By him sending the apostles in the, the first congregation, he was giving them the full instruction of everything that they were going to need when it comes to the things of God. They needed that instruction. They needed that care. They needed that clearance. And so the reality is, is that they were going to be given the full instruction, and later on, we find that Judas Iscariot was going to be replaced by Matthias, who literally came down to a lot between Matthias and, and Justice. Well, those two were the ones that were going to be the, uh, the, the centerpiece of attention, but that is the only place in all of Scripture that we see that the apostles were replaced, or one apostle was replaced. We find one other apostle was added, and that was the Apostle Paul. Now, once again, I have so many people that said, well, your belief, your belief is that the Apostle Paul is going to be, uh, you know, that he was added and he was the Apostle to the Gentiles. I said, yes, you're right. Well, how does that equate to you in the, where it says that there were four and twenty elders? I said, that's very simple. Paul's not numbered with the four and twenty elders. What did Paul say he was? He was the presenter of the bride. Now, we just had the wedding yesterday, and uh, Ethan and Kelly got married yesterday, and even though it was cold outside, I, I paid attention to what was going on, and the officiator asked this question. He goes, who gives this woman to be with this man? And the answer was, I give this woman to be with this man. I am the father. I am going to allow this to occur. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul is going to present us, who are redeemed, who are part of the bride, we are going to be handed over and saying, I present you as a chaste virgin. Well, what about John the Baptist? What about him? Do you realize he is called the friend of the bridegroom? He is basically what we call the best man. Yesterday, Greg got to be the best man you know, at Ethan's wedding. I thought, man, I, I shouldn't be taking pictures because this is so good in the representation of what we see in the scripture. But the reality is, is that the four and twenty elders are the twelve, uh, the, the twelve elders of the Old Testament, the twelve elders of the New Testament, and those two together are going to make up the four and twenty elders. The reality is, the apostles were set first in the place as the congregational members, or they were in the church. Here's the thing that's interesting. And I want you to get this, make sure that I want, you know, I'm trying to be as slow and methodical as I can. The authorization, remember this last week, there was only two ordinances, and of the two ordinances, only one was allowed 
to baptize in the very beginning, and that was John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus approaches him, he said, Lord, I need to be baptized of you. He understood the importance of baptism. But what did the Lord say? He didn't say, well, here's the reason that we've got to do it. No, 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 no. He said, suffer to be so now, for it is required of us to fulfill, fulfill our... Now, as I pointed out, the Because only God can commission someone else to do the baptism. Why do I go into this baptistry? Because I believe, as it happened all the way back to John the Baptist, that there has been a problem. I know that's a little bit far-fetched for some people, but that's okay. And so, being that he is God, he only, uh, as God, could he pass it on to the church. In John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it said, And Jesus baptized more than John, though he baptized not, but who? The church. You don't believe me? Well, let's go take a look at it. John chapter 1, or chapter uh, 4, and let's look at verse 1 and 2. When therefore... baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Why were they allowed to baptize? Why didn't Jesus baptize? The reason is it was commissioned or it was passed on to those apostles to do just that, that bidding or that calling. Here's the other thing. We, a lot of times, because we don't teach enough about what the church is, we fail on other areas. For instance, we're here in Matthew chapter 26 now. Do you realize that the church is given the Lord's Supper? And this is an area I want us to understand. Just as baptism was handed over to the, the, the first church, being the apostles, so is the commissioning or the beginning of the New Covenant, or the New Testament, of his blood, which is going to be given to the apostles. Now let's see if that's not true. Again in verse 20. Now when evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. Who are the twelve? That are the apostles. That would be the apostles. And yet he dismisses Judas, but it doesn't mean that the church ceases to exist. Let me just point this out to you. As a church, we know the responsibility we have to observe as the church calls into order the Lord's Supper. Now, who's allowed to take it? Only members of the local New Testament church. Now, does that mean every member of the local New Testament church will be here to observe it? As many as can should be. But again, I want you to look at this. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. And I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says in regards to the Lord's Supper. And this ought to really cause us to prepare ourselves for the taking of the Lord's Supper. Look what it says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, and by the way, it says show the Lord's death. 
It's not a part of the Lord's death. It shows his death. There's a lot of people that they want to take and make it into a ritual. That's one of the reasons that the Roman Catholics, but what they began to say was that when you, when you took the, the bread into the mouth and you began to chew on it, it began to be the physical body of Christ. That is not scriptural. Then when you drank of the wine, it became the literal blood of Christ. That is, again, not scriptural. It is a memorial. The memorial is to be the actual. It's to remind us of what we, have, what we are now enduring together. Verse 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So here's the thing. As much as within us, I think that we should protect the Lord's Supper. Now I realize that this is like the fourth sermon that I've preached on, or the third sermon, I can't remember, it's been so long. But I want you to get this. I am a firm believer that before we enter in to observe the Lord's Supper, even though we set everything in order, we are doing so to make sure that everything is right here, but we preserve the table elsewhere. Now, let me explain that to you. When we all gather around the front, one of the things I oftentimes say to our deacons is protect the Lord's table. And the reason is, as much as within them, they should make sure that only members of this local New Testament church are observing the Lord's Supper with the rest of us. But may I point this out to you? It is our responsibility, every member's here, every member, including your pastor and the deacons and their wives and all the laymen that we might be here and their wives, to observe the, the question mark, the prayer time, the separation to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, help me to be worthy as I partake of the Lord's Supper today. When should that occur? I believe that long before you come to the table, you should have that already admitted. How many of you all have ever had a dream during the night and you knew it was a wrong dream? You were awakened with the wrong dream on your mind. It happens to us all. Well, guess what, folks? When those dreams come, we should still ask God to protect us. Forgive us of our, our erring ways. How many of you all remember when Job offered up sacrifices to God and he said, for my children, just in case. Just in case. Do you realize that we should even be in prayer for other members of this church? Just in case. Now, I know that may sound kind of crazy, but the reality is there was evidence of it. In verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. One of the first things we should do is to say, Am I truly one of God's children? Am I truly saved? Now, once again, we're not going to offer the Lord's Supper to anyone but members of this church, but it behooves us that we make our calling and our election sure. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't ever like to preach a sermon that makes you doubt your salvation. And I know too many preachers that they do that. I believe that a, an honest repertoire of preaching the Word of God will bring conviction if conviction is needed. I know that I have sins, but I tell you what, being, facing my sins head on has made me understand all the more why I needed Christ and why he has redeemed me. 
It's pretty precious. But again, in verse 29, the Lord's Supper, if I take it incorrectly, if I'm unworthy, then guess what? I'll bring damnation to myself, not discerning the Lord's body. By the way, that Lord's body is not the physical body on that he bore, but the church. Now, if we find this kind of recommendation in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do you really think that Judas was allowed to sit in and eat of this same supper in Matthew chapter 26? There's no way. The Lord protected his body in such a way that he said, I'm only going to give this as a memorial. John chapter 1 verse 29. You've got to be careful what you say when it says First John. In John chapter 1 verse 29, we find this distinguishment that's going to occur. Look what it says. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, now he knew why he came, but this was the announcement that this is the there of the six days that uh, was allowed or required where we can see the examination of the Lord. But do you understand that when he said, this is the Lamb of God, and he said, he takes away the sin of the world, what the apostles did not understand, what other people that heard that did not understand, is that there is something special about Jesus Christ. He looked like a man, he talked soon evident that he was different from man. I, can you imagine being one of the apostles in that ship that was being tossed on the sea? And how that, I can imagine that the, that the storm had already caused the, the sail to rip away, maybe the main staff. And when here was Jesus sleeping quietly in the bow of the ship, he wasn't asleep. He was waiting. I tell people this all the time. Yeah, he was resting, but I believe he was saying, I gotta wait till they all realize they can't do it without me. And what did the Lord do? He got up and he said, Peace be still. That's all he said. And suddenly the winds and the waves and everything else calmed down. And what happened to the apostles? The ones that they said, Don't you care? He became afraid because they were talking to God. So here in Matthew chapter 26, he brings them a brand new element. He reaches over to the Passover meal that they just enjoyed, and he takes two elements, the wine and the unleavened bread. We know that leaven is always a representation of sin, and yet he goes with these, he says, this is my body. And they broke it after he prayed. And he passed it around. He said, eat ye of it. Eat it. Do you realize that it's impossible to bring forth blood unless the flesh is crushed? Now think about that for a moment. 
I, when I did my notes and I was studying this together, one of the things that really amazed me was right after this, we find that Jesus went to the garden and there he began to pray. And he prayed three different times and the apostles still didn't get it. Man, we got Jesus. And as long as we got Jesus, we're going to be okay. But what happens when the shepherd is going to be bruised? When Jesus was taken away from those apostles, they fled. And he ended up being alone before Caiaphas the high priest. Do you realize that when they asked Jesus point direct, are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ? In, mock, in mockery, they rent their clothes. But when Jesus answered correctly because they adjourned him, they adjured him by the name of God, as you stand before God, say, I am. I am. Do you realize the term I am was a reflection of everything we see? The first time that we heard the word I am was all the way back in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said, Who What did Jesus say? I am the way, I'm the truth, the life. I am the truth, I am the resurrection, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the chief shepherd, I am the great shepherd. And I can go on and on and on. Everywhere you look at it, what Jesus had to say, he always referred to I am. And they knew, even the religious rulers knew, Said they went to Pilate and they said, this deceiver has promised that he was going to rise again. Put a watch on it. They knew what he said. They believed probably even more than the That's hard to imagine, isn't it? And yet, before all of this took place, his body was going to be broken in the typology of of the bread. When I stand before you all, and, and I'm always appreciative that, that the first thing that Greg or Joe, one of them will do, they always give me a little cleanser for my hands. And then I realize how important it is to break that bread. Unleavened. There's no rising in it. There's no yeast in it. It's just bread. And after that bread is made, then we go ahead and we, we eat a little bit of it. And then we take a cup. It was interesting that Brother Randy Coffee came to me last week and he goes, boy, a lot of people said, well, you're, you're doing it wrong because you're not drinking of one cup. Well, does it say one cup? It came from one cup. I don't know what they all had. And matter of fact, or, you know, let's put it this way, I, I don't know hygienically how it is, but all of our wine comes from one cup, comes from one bottle, comes from one source. The blood that we have in, that has been given to us for our redemption came from one source. And the picture of the cup, as I hold that cup up, is a picture of what Christ was about to do for me. And he goes, this is my blood. Did you notice again how he says it? And he said, I, in verse 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, of the New Testament. 
That which Judas had is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Now I establish something brand new. When you drink this cup, you're going to remember this night which I'm going to be tried and which I'm going to, you're going to see me you're going to see me punished. You're going to see me beaten. You're going to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. And they all drank of the cup. But I love what the Lord said after this. In verse 29, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Aren't you excited about that? I'm going to be redeemed, and as I'm there with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's going to go, welcome. Can you imagine as the Lord of the vine? I am the vine, ye are the branches. And the message that we declare to other people to this day is the same message that Jesus Christ preached many, many years ago. And in heavenly places, I, look, I, I can't wait to look at Jesus. I really can't. And as that cup touches his lips, it will all be fulfilled with me because I will drink of the same cup with him. He redeemed me. Isn't that exciting? It should be. The reality is, is that so many people want to take these same elements and they forget how powerful they really are. I'm going to share this with you. Do you know that immediately after Jesus Christ had been taken by Caiaphas, the first person to smite him were the high priests, or their guards at least. Notice what it says. And again in verse, uh, and I wrote it down here to make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, let's go down to verse 66. And the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He spoke in blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. That's the only reason that they tried to have him destroyed. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Oh, they, there was already a kangaroo court. They wanted to kill him. But he died innocently for you and me. And they did spit in his face. There's the first one. How many of you have ever had spit in your face? Do you like it? Didn't it bring you down? Wasn't it humiliating? And yet, can you imagine the Lord saying, I still forgive you. You're only doing your base nature. Look what else it says. And they buffeted him, which meant they slapped him. Another smote him with the palms of their hands. Every high priest, every Pharisee, everyone that came by, they slapped their hands. Do you realize no one was ever escaping the responsibility they had with Jesus? Can you imagine as Nicodemus went by and the look of Jesus upon you know at his face? I have to, Lord. I have to. What about Joseph of Arimathea? He would have been there as well. And what if he slapped Jesus? Oh, I've already forgiven you. And I go to pay the price for your sins. But even more so, I want you to look at this. 
And it says, saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who it is that smote thee. A little bit later we find that he was marched to Caiaphas, or he went from Caiaphas to, to Pilate. And there again was the kangaroo court that was waiting. And now came the terribleness of the blood. Do you realize that when Jesus was whipped, I want you to see this, over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54. Isaiah, chapter 54. We find something that is really remarkable. Make sure that I'm in the right place here. Because it just occurred to me on this one. In, in verse 54, beginning in verse 2, enlarge the place of thy tent, and let and let the uh, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine inhabitants. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes, and thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and the seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make desolate the cities to be in, to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither shalt thou be confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt not forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember thy reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband. Thy Lord is of hosts is the name, and the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall, be, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou refusest, saith the Lord. I want you to get this. I can imagine now Pilate, as Jesus stood before him, and I can almost see Pilate saying, I have found nothing wrong with this man. Let me beat him. Let me just do a little bit of a beating. They took Jesus away and they whipped him with, nine, with the cat of nine tails. And they gave him 40 stripes, save one. And the blood trickled down. They planted that crown of thorn upon his head. They smote him and they beat him and everything else that was there. And then he was paraded back in front of the people. And I want you to see what it says. In Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, after all these things that were done. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 27. Let me get over here. And they said, uh, they said, and Jesus, verse 11, and Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he said, Thou sayest. And when he accused, and when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto him, Hearest thou not how many things that witness against thee? And he answered him, Never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And there was a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Wherefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto him, Whom will that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew for envy they had delivered him. Man, if that's not underlined in your Bible, it should be. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. 
the governor answered and, and, and said to them, Whether of twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do with the Christ? With Jesus, which is called the Christ. And they said unto him, Let him be crucified. He's going to be put to death. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath been done? But they cried out the Lord, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands upon the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And listen to what they said. And they answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. I want you to get this. When we take the cup, we understand how important it is to tell others of what Christ has done. But that's not the end. It is because the Jews have said, we no longer want this one to be our Christ. Now we can take the cup and say, but we want him. We want him. Those Jews that instituted this back, you know, all the way back in Matthew chapter 26, they understood a little bit more about what Christ was going to go through. And as they saw that blood dripping from his body, it says over in the book of Isaiah, his vintage was so beaten that they couldn't even make him out if he was a man or not. He was so beaten. But do you realize how precious it was that he went through it all for us? There's more I could, I could say, but I, I dare not. I will say right now that every one of us should take the time to understand that this cup is so important for us. The elements, so far I haven't even explained why they are perfect elements yet. But again, it's a representation of what Christ has done for us. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Would you like to know more about him? I would love to take the time to show you and share the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, again, we pray that you will guide us and bless. Help us to understand the things which are given and guide and watch over us in all things. In Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, do you have a song for us, please?